think when they were little, I used to almost put pressure on myself to keep it so magical that nobody would ever see the mess. They would only see the clean, right? And that's the pressure that we often put on ourselves, especially when you're coming from paid work into unpaid work. You keep the same expectations and standards on yourself, right? To perform at that high level. So everyone's only seeing the perfection. But what I realized is that's not teaching them, right? They need to understand the before and the after, the A to the Z, because eventually they're going to be independents and they're going to need to understand how to care for themselves. And so, and then partners who I want them to be strong partners and contributors. So I parent more loudly now. I talk a lot more about what it is that I've been up to, what it looks like, and why I do it so that that information transfers to them in an empowering and educational way. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. In today's episode, I interview author Lori Sugarman Lee about her new book, Our Home, The Love, Work, and Heart of a Family. Throughout our discussion, we'll explore topics like family flow, Drafting family agreements based on shared values and empowering children to contribute meaningfully. We talk practical strategies for involving children in household tasks to deeper reflections on the significance of everyday chores. There's even an embarrassing admission on my part during the second part of the show. So stay tuned for that, as well as Lori's invaluable insights that will resonate with families seeking unity, joy, and rest in their homes. But before we get there, instead of doing the minimalist resource or moment, I want to share my answer to a question that I received on Instagram. Someone asked, how to declutter greeting cards? I've kept every note ever sent to me for 32 years. My first reaction is that I can relate. There are some cards that I've kept that are incredibly sentimental to me. But I think what it comes down to is you have to choose which ones are extremely sentimental and special to you. Maybe you could keep those in a special scrapbook of sorts. Another idea would be to frame a card that someone's gifted to you, maybe rotating them in a frame on the wall. That could be a cool display. As for me, I do keep my letters and my sentimental items in a box. It is a visual boundary for me to say, this is how much space I have to fill. And once it's filled, I need to start going back through and really whittle it down to what I truly love and what's truly precious to me. I'll be sure to link a couple of episodes in the show notes in regards to sentimentality, but I actually think one of my favorite episodes on this topic is about Swedish death cleaning with Emily McDermott. We dive much deeper into decluttering sentimental items, and I think this would be a great place to start. I hope some of this was helpful to you. As a final word of encouragement, even if you declutter one letter in the next few months, at least you've made some progress. You can slowly whittle it away and narrow it down to your very favorite because remember, if everything's your favorite, nothing's your favorite. And remember, the message that the letter writer was originally trying to convey to you was accepted. It was read, you processed it, you were grateful for it. The letter is a representation of that message. It's okay to let it go. And with that, let's get into this conversation. Lori, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. I've been so looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. I cannot wait to discuss your new book today. It's called Our Home, The Love, Work, and Heart of Family. Oh, yeah. You're holding a copy of it. (laughs) Yes. 
Well, we're going to talk about your new book today, but before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay, super. Um, I'm Lori Sugarman Lee. I am based in Chicago, but I do want to say to you, oh, eight. And I'm actually Canadian. Uh, my family wa- is all born in Canada, and we have lived also in London, England. Now we're in Chicago, where I practice as a family coach and have recently written my first children's book, Our Home. Yeah. And like I said, we're going to get into that today. So why don't you tell listeners, what is the topic of this book? And then we'll talk about what prompted you to write it. Sure. So Our Home is a book for children about the power of families and how we care for one another and the space that we share. And it's really meant to be a conversation starter for families about a topic that too often can really be invisible and unspoken, which is all of this beautiful work that happens in and around our home and in and around our family to make us flow through daily life. And I think this is the work of humanity, Um, but it's work that is very often undervalued. And the more we can talk about it and the more we can include children in understanding the meaning behind this work, the more efficiently our family will flow. Absolutely. And you do, you have the term family flow, uh, that idea. What do you mean by family flow? So family flow is really the daily cadence. And it's so unique to each family, right? Our schedule, our rituals, our negotiations, our obligations, how we support each other every day, the agreements that we make when we're going to meet, where we're going to meet, when we're going to eat, what we're going to eat. And it's really all of the things that we decide together, whether we're moving through the whole day as a unit or in tandem, how we stay connected and how we thrive together as a family. My husband is actually really good at this when he's in charge of the kids. They do this thing called family meeting and they will all get together and they have some little handshake they do. But then he asks each of them, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do today? What do you want to do today? And they kind of get on the same page. And then he talks about how they're going to get there. For some reason, I've never been able to keep (laughs) any type of structure or habit like this. But I love the idea of doing that more regularly. I just think when it comes down to the mom, yes, I'm juggling more. I have more balls in the air regularly. And I think for him, a lot of times he just gets to have fun with them. And so that's why it makes it more accessible in certain ways. But also, I want to hold myself accountable and say that I can create that type of family flow even amidst all the things that I'm managing. And I'm wondering what that looks like for you. Yeah, well, you made a really good point, which is, you know, first of all, that's fantastic that they have that kind of of foundational connection. And it, it would be great for you to have your own version of it. But it's also so helpful to understand what's happening in their meetings, right, and their connections so that you can have consistency where it's appropriate. For my family, I have two sons. They're 11 and 13. And so I would have loved to have had this book when they were five, right, to spark these conversations about all of the loving effort that goes into caring for one another. Um, But at the stage that we're at, you know, we're really talking about, um, you know, responsibilities, accountabilities, empowerment, uh, skill building. And it's, it's a huge opportunity for me in raising boys to create future strong partners. And so it's something that I take 
really to heart my opportunity to to do this work more loudly, right? Because I think when they were little, I used to almost put pressure on myself to to keep it so magical that like nobody would ever see the mess. They would only see the clean, right? And that's the pressure that we often put on ourselves to keep the house, especially when you're coming from paid work into unpaid work, you keep the same expectations and standards on yourself, right? To perform at that high level. So everyone's only seeing the perfection. But what I realized is that's not teaching them, right? They need to understand the before and the after, the A to the Z, because eventually they're going to be independents and they're going to need to understand how to care for themselves and then partners who I want them to be strong partners um, and contributors. So I parent more loudly now. I talk a lot more about what it is that I've been up to, what it looks like, and why I do it so that that information transfers to them in an empowering and educational way. Okay. Going back to when they were younger, when did you start thinking this way or shifting your mindset around, oh, I actually need to speak to this so that we all get on the same page? I mean, were they little or did this happen not too long ago? So it's such a great question. And the spark was so much more about a bubble bursting for me personally than me realizing anything to do with my kids. The moment I really came to this work was when we moved from London to Chicago and we were um, redoing all of our family documents, wills, insurance, and all the things you have to do when you move country. And to make a long story short, my husband and I decided that I would apply for disability insurance. And we went through the whole rigmarole of the applications and the health exams and all the forms and everything, only for me to be rejected by the insurance agent. He said to me, well, you're, you're just a housewife. You know, you don't make a salary. So there's no loss if something happens to you. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, do you understand (laughs) all of the things that I do if something happens to me? There's a, there's a huge gap um, that needs to be filled. And so it was a real bubble bursting moment for me of the systematic devaluation of unpaid work and the work of care. And so that's when I started realizing that this is something that I really needed to talk more about with my own family first. And then as I became a coach of other families, and then in creating this book uh, as a conversation starter more broadly. Wow, that's shocking. I do think about that. My husband's like, we need to get life insurance for you because he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do if you're not present. I mean, regardless of like his grief and mourning, realistically, all the transitions and everything that I'm managing, he's like, I can't even imagine where to start with all of that. So that's crazy that that was said to you. My bubble would be burst as well. It lit me on fire, but it led to all this. So I guess it was meant to be. Obviously, this is a children's book, but you can pull out different ideas. And you talk about a family agreement and how to draft a family agreement. So how did you sit down with your boys and draft a family agreement based on those shared values that will really put into place those habits that you want for the day-to-day? Right. So you hit the nail on the head in that it all starts with values. And I feel like kids of any age can really understand this concept of 
what feels important to me, what feels important to our family. And where I love to start this conversation is with, you know, explaining to your family, we can make our life whatever we want it to be. It's up to us. It's all our decision on how we craft this beautiful life that we live. And it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing or thinking, or if there's judgment, it doesn't matter. We can, we can dream this. And then that conversation flows into, okay, what do we need to do to support that dream? So if we want to live in this way, what are the commitments that we have to make to one another? Okay. And that includes the work of caring for one another. And so you then lead to, um, from your stated values, you lead to some stated standards for how you want to bring those values to life. Okay. Practicals. What does that look like? What did you guys do as a family? Just so listeners kind of get an idea of what you're talking about. Sure. So we talk about um, all of the specific tasks of home and care that are meaningful to us. And we would make a list of those. And then we would talk about the ones that maybe are not as meaningful to us that we're doing because we think we're supposed to or someone else might care about it. And, you know, in the spirit of minimalism, right? Like, what can we release in terms of, because the work of care is a heavy load, no matter how you slice it. But anything that we're doing because we think it's expected of us or we think other people want to see it in our home, but it's actually not meaningful for us, the opportunity is to release that, right? Or if it's meaningful for some people in your home, but not for others, right? This is where it's really important to be compassionate for how different people in your family are wired and in what environments they thrive, right? And decide, well, this is important for me, but if it's not important for you, I get that, right? And so what's the standard for where you thrive? What's coming to mind for me is my husband and I love to be outdoors. Our kids enjoy it not as much as they're getting older for some reason, which is kind of sad, but we still force them to go outside. Look, what does the compromise look like as they get older? Because you have older boys right now. So what does it look like for you? So I think it's really important as parents to share what's what's meaningful and restorative and, and rejuvenating for us too. We tend to protect our kids from the fact that we have needs. And it's really important for them to understand that like we can only pour from a cup that's full. And so identifying and being honest about what we need as well um, to have a full tank is actually like really meaningful to our kids because number one, it shows that we get that they have needs too and we want them to be a part of our needs too or we want them to at least understand that we need time to fill them. And, and that's the beauty of a lot of this work that I do around division of labor. And we can talk more about that is the highest level goal is really in lessening the amount of time and space that this work takes for your family and creating more space for things like wellness and connection and self-care. So exactly to your point, that is the ultimate goal. We can talk about that division of labor. I think it again, it's going to look different for everyone. I know there's this thing. I maybe I shouldn't open this can of worms, but I'm going to because I always do. 
So there's this thing called trad wives. So traditional wives. And some of these women, regardless of what anyone thinks about where their beliefs stem from, some of these women truly enjoy doing the majority of the household work. They think that this is their role and then the man goes out. I'm just going to leave that there. For others, for me, I'm thinking of, I'll speak for myself, I'm managing two small businesses. I homeschool. And I also understand my husband has a lot on his plate. We're all tired. And so I think we have to recognize it's okay to outsource the work to the kids or outsource the work to the husband, even if we're like hesitant to do so because we feel like it should be our work. What do you think about all that I just said? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Tons to unpack there. So first of all, when I talk to my clients about the, the load of work and the division of labor, we don't talk about 50-50. We don't talk about, we don't use words like equal, same. Where we approach it from is, do you and your partner have equal joy and equal rest? And whatever the balance and the division of the workload is that gets you to that magical place, that's right for your family. And I think the beauty is each family is different. And going back to sort of releasing judgment Whatever works for you, right? And, and the ability to, to choose and to make it your own unique focus. That's what we are grateful for, right? Not everybody has the ability to choose. And so for the kids, the opportunity is really about empowerment and education and connection. It's great that they're contributing too, but it's also about this really facilitating and nurturing growth for them, right? So that they can grow into independence and partners who feel connected to this work and who see it as contributions of care and not chores to dread. I have a new sponsor that's perfect for my show. The company is Trust & Will. Trust & Will is actually named after exactly what they do. They make trusts and they make wills. My husband and I have been putting off writing our wills for years now. With every trip that we take, we're always reminded that it's something that we need to do when we haven't. However, I've been recently talking about Swedish death cleaning, and after my episode with Emily McDermott, episode 207, I decided that I needed to put it to the top of my list. So when I saw that Trust and Will wanted a partner, I immediately said yes. And I'm really not kidding you when I tell you that my husband and I were able to sit down, work through the prompts. It's super user-friendly, and it took us maybe 30 minutes. There may be some more questions that you want to go a bit more in-depth, but for us, it took us maybe 30 minutes. I think an important part of an intentional life is planning for the future in this way. It's not the most pleasant thing to think about, but it's necessary. So you can gain peace of mind today with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash minimalist. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash minimalist. I want to discuss how you talk about the empowerment piece for our children. Maybe why that's so important to you and why you think that's an impactful thing that we need to think of. I love connecting kids to tasks that play to their strengths and that make them feel successful in the contribution. Obviously, you know, something that is safe and age appropriate is like a foundational starting point. But then what I love to do is match kids to skills. So my one son has great executive functioning and organizational skills. He gets involved in things that play to that. Then it's about matching kids with a particular problem to solve. 
my older son, when he eats, he's a very uh, jubilant eater. And typically the result is a lot of crumbs on the floor. So he owns vacuuming the floor. Like it's just that natural connection, right? Um, matching to passion. So my, my younger son loves food and cooking. So he gets pulled into a lot of what I do in the kitchen. And a lot of it is observing, but a lot of it is in on the action too. Um, and now he's making his own eggs and, you know, all sorts of other creations. Um, then the other thing I like to think about is, is matching, um, their ability to either do something on their own or maybe they need a shadow or a support. So what is a task that I can invite my kids into where they're not necessarily leading it, but they're being supported? Example of that is laundry. That's a great one to pull kids into because there are so many bits and pieces that it's not rocket science, right? And of all the things that they're going to learn that prepare them to be independent, that's a big one. You know, you bring your kid in and say, all right, the first thing that I have to do here is like separate everything that's white and everything that's not white. Like, do you think you can do that with me? And the answer generally is going to be yes, sort of gamifying it, right? And making it fun. And then also getting back to this, you know, having compassion for the fact that we're all wired differently, right? And every brain has different capabilities and different strengths and different abilities to compute and complete. And so just really understanding where your kids are at in terms of their abilities there. And again, it's not about pawning work off onto kids, right? It's about empowering kids and showing them that connection and time together doesn't only happen during leisure activities. We can connect and and share space and laugh and have fun, even when we're doing laundry. Absolutely. I'll make a confession here, Lori. I have not started any chores with my children, and my oldest is nine. And I have been, I'll say probably it just is because I'm such a control freak. I want the laundry done this way, or I will do it better. Of course. But that said, when I have mentioned recently, I'm like, okay, we're going to start some chores, guys. and. I think there was an expectation to be paid for it. Maybe there's some extra things you can get paid for, but also you're a part of this family and the house will not function well if we're not all participating. So what are your thoughts on how do they see the value for unpaid work in the household? Okay, so you raised two really good points. The first thing that you noted on is this idea that sometimes it's difficult for us to let go of work because we have a standard that's really important to us. And that's real, right? Like you thrive in an environment that is done a certain way. And that is important, especially since you probably work from home, you need it to be a way that makes you feel safe and comfortable. Um, And so that brings back the importance of the conversations around standards and family standards and family values. And so do your kids understand how important that is for you and why it's important and how their contributions connect to that. So that would be like a starting point. And then the other great point that you realize that you mentioned, which is such a hot topic is allowance and compensation. And I think there is so much value to kids learning how to manage money that they earn. But before they start earning money for contributions around the home, They need to see inherently that this work is valuable without that. Because when they get older, no one's going to pay them to do their laundry. So 
I think that the mechanism for learning about money, for receiving money, for understanding saving money, how to spend money thoughtfully, how to you know allocate money to charitable giving, et cetera, that I think is really valuable for kids. But if they only connect the completion of household tasks to being compensated, then there's a step that's been missed. So this is why I really love the opportunity for my book to start the conversation at a little bit of a younger age. But at nine years old, that's still the sweet spot for starting these conversations and this work. And you start where you are, right? Okay. So this is the other thing that could be difficult for families. I'm just pulling examples from my own life. Great. But my husband was raised in a, I don't want to say militant chores household, but there was an expectation for things to be done correctly. And he was taken through and he was shown everything. So sometimes he is like, you don't know how to clean. And I'm like, I know I don't know how to clean. I know how to tidy really well. But I can't believe I'm going to say this on my podcast. I never had chores. I never was given, oh, you have to complete this. Maybe my mom would give me a task every so often. And I just preferred to keep my room tidy. But there was no scrubbing toilets. There was no doing my own laundry. There was no taking out the trash. Right. These basic things that we think of. And so it is something that I've had to learn as an adult. And I think that he, I think, expects me to teach them the way that he was raised. And I'm more free spirit. And I'm like, well, if they get it done, it's okay. But then again, this control element comes in. I guess does this all just come back to everyone working together and getting on the same page and compromising? So this is such a great point. And it is so common for partners to come from different raised environments, right? Be it cultural differences, or different types of family dynamics. This is so much more common than you might think. And so again, this is the value of having all of these conversations on what standards are we coming to the table with and really understanding why. And so what I think in your case would be really meaningful is to understand for your husband, what are the things he feels really strongly about? What are his non-negotiables or like the most important elements of, you know, achieving this standard? And what are the things that actually he is open to compromising on? And then similar for you, like what are your most important things? And then where are you more willing to sort of set his standard as the base for your family? It definitely does have to be like a shared and and a compromising situation, but it's important to understand where he's coming from and, and also for him to maybe reflect on do I feel this way because I think I have to? Do I feel this way because it's how I was raised? Could I, am I open to a different opportunity here? Am I open to us not having so much stress around this or not spending so much time around this? And so these are the conversations that are super, super helpful. Well, you know, it's funny as we're talking, I'm processing, but even if I give my children chores and they don't do it as good as I would, or I have to go back and redo it, there is the chance that they do do it pretty close to how I would do it. And that saves me time. (laughs) So I guess there's no uh, downside to allowing them to start because at least an element of it is going to get done. Right. Right. And, or, I mean, imagine if they actually do it better, right? I mean, this is, they, they come to it with their own ideas and their own solutions. And I think That is a huge opportunity for kids too, when you empower them and you trust them. Kids take a lot of value from being trusted by adults and being invited into adult conversations and being invited into adult spaces. 
And very often they rise to the occasion. And again, the the type of environment that you put them into has to be age appropriate and um and respectful of of where they're at. But but they can be they can really surprise you. And um, you know, you made such a good point about saving time. And when I was preparing to speak with you today, I was really thinking about the concept of of minimalism, right? And and what a lot of these conversations do for us is they declutter the mind. They declutter our schedule, right? They they declutter the figurative path of what our family walks through every day to thrive, right, on a daily basis. And the opportunity is to reduce stress, reduce resentment, reduce nagging, reduce duplication of effort. And to increase thoughtfulness and gratitude, feeling connected and having the opportunity more for rest and wellness. Yes, absolutely. And this is all curating an intentional life. Everything that you're saying is where that's right. I always, I've been saying recently, the show is less about minimalism and more about crafting an intentional lifestyle. And I think, again, with conversations like these, even for listeners listening right now, it's getting the ball rolling. Even if you haven't had the conversation yet, we're here to encourage people to do that. Even if they don't say it out loud yet, they just start processing. I mean, I think that's why you and I are both here today. Yeah, I love that. I just wrote that down, um, curating an intentional life. That's <laughs> such a beautiful mantra. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, look, this conversation is going to look different for every family. And it's not always a slam dunk. You know, sometimes you invite your partner into conversations like this and there's a little bit of resistance or they, they're not, you know, 100% committed or whatever. So it's, it can be complicated. And, you know, there are, there are ways to sort of evolve your language to make it something that is more receptive. And again, certainly the younger we start with children, to invite them into spaces of articulating what is valuable to them, articulating what is meaningful to them, and then them understanding how do we achieve that meaning together as a team and looking at the family as an organization um, that supports one another, the more likely that is to stick. Yeah, absolutely. I've been reading about how boys want tasks. They want to be given tasks. And again, this is a generalization for boys, but giving them tasks. And I've noticed even my six-year-old, since he was like three, if you asked him to come join you, or if my husband was like, hey, I'm going to go pick up this stuff in the yard. Will you help me? He's always really enjoyed coming alongside and being a helper. So I do like how you talk about playing to their strengths and what they want to, to help out with. Because I think often we don't think that they're capable, but actually they just want us to ask so that they feel, I think that they feel respected. Our boys want to know that we think they're capable. Oh, that's really well said. Yep. I love that. I love that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's the same version of that for girls, but you are making a really important point here, which is we don't see as much of a of a challenge getting girls involved in this work. In fact, we see from data that girls are doing an inequitable share of home and care tasks as early as eight years old. And I think that's that's just when they started measuring. And if they measured it younger, they'd probably see it younger too. Um, the opportunity really, because we, for people who have daughters, right, they're probably familiar with 
the world really opening up to girls in the messaging that they receive in terms of, you know, girls can code, girls can fly, girls can be president, girls can be anything, which of course is true. But what I have to ask is, what are we then telling our boys so that the girls have the space to thrive in that way? So it really is so much about talking to young boys and letting them know that the work of care is a space where they are needed and wanted and belong as much as girls. So whatever form that takes for them, and it it depends on, again, as we've said, their strengths and their passions and what they're wired for, get boys involved in this work so that when the time comes, when they are partners, they can approach it equitably and it's not a new concept to them. Yeah, absolutely. Those words weren't necessarily my own. I was kind of paraphrasing what I've been reading in this book. It's called What a Difference a Mom Makes. And it's just, um, I think so often we just think for moms, again, specifically speaking for myself and my relationship with my son, you just want to protect them in certain ways that you don't, I don't know, I really can't explain it. You're a boy mom, but I think you want to protect them from having to do some things. But it's like, no, they're fully capable of doing this stuff. And actually, you're probably going to get the opposite result if you don't help them when they're younger, because then they're going to become lazy and they're going to become the exact stereotype we have for certain men because we never set the challenge up for them. So what you're articulating is such a real metamorphosis for mothers. It is it is something that we really have to um, understand our own capabilities in, right? In, in that, in what are we going to release in order to empower, right, these kids? And it isn't always easy because you're absolutely right. We are trying to protect them. And we do see that guidance that we provide to them as so central to our role as mothers, right? But I think if we shift the thinking and understand mothering as our relationship with our children and care work as something separate, that we can shift some of those care work tasks to them without compromising the relationship that we have as mother. It just evolves. Absolutely. Well, we're hitting about 30 minutes now. So was there any other word of encouragement you wanted to leave with listeners or something that after they put your book down that you'd hope that they walked away knowing? Well, one thing that's really important to realize too is that, you know, all of these things that you establish as a family, they can change at any time you need them to, right? These conversations are organic. And as you grow, as you evolve, as your family dynamic shifts, if suddenly you have a spouse who begins to travel a lot or whatever the dynamic is, I mean, this can morph as you need it to morph. And the the beauty is in having the lines of communication open. And again, children, as you articulated, children are so much more capable than we might realize in participating in these critical conversations of setting family values and family goals and family standards. And so I think just give it a go and and see what you come up with. And there are tons of resources if you need support in the conversations, you know, my book and beyond. Um, and I just, I'm really, really hopeful that the future of partnerships will be impacted by the conversations that we're having now with our children. Absolutely. That's a good word. Well, Lori, where can listeners connect with you online and grab a copy of your new book? So the book is available almost everywhere books are sold, uh, definitely on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and at Target and at tons of indie booksellers. 
And I am on Instagram at Our Home, Our Pride. And when I say pride, it is not a reference to pride and perfection, but again, a reference to pride and feeling safe and happy in your own space, whatever that is for you. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what's been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? So I'm going to offer two, if that's okay, in terms of establishing the systems and the frameworks that are really helpful in guiding the language and the flow that your family will tackle. I love this book called Fair Play. Have you heard of this? I have heard of that book. So it's a great book. It's also um, a set of cards, which helps facilitate the division of labor in the home. If you're not a book person, it's also available as a documentary. And it is a great way of inviting your partner into the conversations of the home, If you, especially if you watch the documentary together. And the card deck is an excellent visual for understanding the scope of the work of home and family and effectively and efficiently dividing it in a meaningful way. If you, in the spirit of uh, minimalism and clutter, if you don't want to bring in a new book and a card deck into your home, there's a great app called Persist, which I've just started to use. And also I am a coach on this app and it is uh, a fantastic way of, uh, again, allocating and dividing in a visible way the tasks of the home, understanding how much each, uh, how much time each is really taking you and allowing you to um, divide it more equitably as you see fit the magical number for your family. That book has been on my list for a while, so I'll have to get to it since you recommended it. I'll be sure to include all that in the show notes as well for listeners. And then my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? Okay, so this might be a funny one, but I, I'm a big farmer's market person in the summer. I love a farmer's market, but living in the Midwest, there's a long season without them. So I want to say to your listeners, don't sleep on frozen organic vegetables. They are so amazing as a quick prep hack for dinners. You can always have the exact amount that you need. It's always packed fresh and beautiful. It's pre-washed, pre-cut ready to go. And um, I really rely on frozen organic vegetables. A lot doesn't have to be organic. Mine are over the winter months where I don't have access to farmer's market produce. It is such a great time saver and still super healthy. Usually at Costco, I don't want to pay for the produce prices there. So I'll just go over to the frozen food section and get organic vegetables because I can just have them in my freezer, pull them out for dinner. I think sometimes people are like, oh, frozen, then it's soggy. I think if you know how to cook them properly, they're not as gross. Exactly. I find mine to be like fresh and delicious and all the greens are the brightest green. Yeah, I think that's a good mm -hmm. tip. Definitely. It's a trial and error on cooking it properly. But once you learn, it's a great hack. And then I also wanted to shout out, this is just a shout out to a local business. It's Yellowbird Food Shed here in Columbus. I'm sure there's one in your city too, but basically with Yellowbird, they are working with farmers to get the food to the consumer. And it is slightly more expensive, but they do have boxes year round. So in my box that I just got last week, it was potatoes and there were still some apples in there and onions. So more like root vegetables that were coming with it, some microgreens. But I don't do it all the time, but I think it is a great way to kind of pay back the farmer 
And the more research you do about where your food's coming from and how sustainable it is long term, I think any little bit that you can do in getting back to the farmers, that farm to table is really important. So important, especially since I've lived in the Midwest. I mean, there's such a bounty in this part of the country. And it's just, it's magical to see how these farmers create. And and I have so much gratitude for it, for sure. I can't wait for the season. Yeah, same, same. Well, Lori, thanks for sharing your book with us and joining me today. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. So nice to chat. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.